Good morning. It is good to see you here. Please turn in your copies of the scriptures to 2 Corinthians 5. Over the last week and a half or two, as I've been preparing for this part of 2 Corinthians, I've, um, I've found a great deal of comfort in these verses. They are beautiful verses, uh, like the rest of scripture. But if you, if you were here last week, uh, we, the idea of we have this treasure in jars of clay. That's such a beautiful thing. We are the jars of clay. The treasure is Jesus in us. And, and think about that. Think about how that is a treasure. Like the fact that Jesus is saying through Paul, you have a treasure inside you. You have me inside of you. And, uh, and we'll, we'll go right into uh, the end of chapter 4. It says, so don't lose heart. Though your outer self is wasting away, don't lose heart. The older I get, the more I realize how the outer self wastes away, what he means by that. Uh, things hurt, we change, and so on. So let, we're going to pick it up in, in chapter 5, and he, he's continuing this theme of saying, you have something powerful inside of you, you have something that, is, that will change the world. He says this, verse 1, For we know that if the house that is our earthly home is destroyed... We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we, were still, while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Not that we should be unclothed, but that we should be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So, we are always of good courage. We know that while we, are at home in the, while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For if we walk, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearances and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who, for their sake, died and was raised. That's a powerful portion of Scripture. I, I want to go right into the middle in, in verse 9 and have us think as our goal for this sermon where Paul says, so whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. What is your aim in life? What are you aiming for? Now, this is not so much a target. This, this word actually is only used three times in the New Testament, the Greek word. The other time, uh, it is used as ambition. What is your ambition? It means to be ambitious when it's used in this way, to be ambitious or to exert. 
So what are you exerting yourself for? What are you ambitious about? And Paul is pointing us back as believers to kind of the core truths of the life in Christ. Let's begin by thinking about these, the first five verses where he says, For we know. So what is it we know? That the tent that is our earth, if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God. Now that word tent is not the typical word. It is only used in this section. And it has the idea of a, a tabernacle. The, the idea, uh, it, it's not the usual Greek word for tent. And it, it's referring figuratively to our human body. And we, we take great pains to take care of our human body, and we should. We know that if, if, if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, but we have something more. When my dad was dying of cancer five and a half years ago, uh, he was in the hospital, and I will never remember this, I will never forget, as long as I can remember, I will never forget this occasion I had, I met with an oncologist, a cancer doctor, one time. My dad had cancer and didn't know it, and he had pneumonia with it, and they were treating all the symptoms, and and, uh, they said, we don't think he's going to make it, but in case he does... We called in an oncologist. I only ever met with this woman once. Uh, I, I don't remember her name or anything. Except I remember one thing she said and her penetrating eyes. She had these eyes that looked into you. Not just looked at you, but looked into you. At least it felt like that. And um, my father was, uh, he said, uh, don't talk about it in the room. Just go outside the room. And so she and I sat in this little lobby area, and she said, Mr. Yoder, your father is dying. And I said, well, I'm assuming that that is true. And she said, she looked at me with these eyes, and she said, I only have one thing to say to you. That if he has made preparations for the afterlife, there are many, many things worse than dying. And she got up and walked away. And I thought, I mean, she had gone through what they may be able to do, and that that was her parting words to me. And I walked back into my dad's room, and in the reality of the moment, it's hard to hear. You think, what can be worse than somebody dying? But she, I, I have no clue if she was Buddhist or Christian or what she was, I presume Christian, but she said, there are some things that are worse than dying if you are prepared for the afterlife. And when we think about these, let's just think about this set of verses. For we know that if our tent, that if the tent that our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God. We have something much bigger, and it's going to last forever. A house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. So what is that? Well, that is Jesus' life in us. That's eternal life. By the way, eternal life doesn't begin when we get to heaven. Eternal life begins when we embrace the way of Jesus. That's when eternal life begins. That's when life begins. That's when there is birth, new birth. So so think about this. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, If indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. Now, 
uh, and also another, it goes on, while we are still in this tent, we groan being burdened, not that we might be unclothed, or that we would be unclothed. That this idea of naked and unclothed, in the Greek world, their biggest fear was an, an, what they would call an unclothed spirit. So what they, they were afraid of the afterlife, that where the body would be stripped away, and all that would be left would be the soul of the person. And Paul is speaking directly to them. And think about that in our world today. Many, many people fear death because they have some conclusion that there may be life after death. And if they don't have this, and they have nothing else to put on in place of this, what is there? And they're afraid of that unclothedness, that nakedness that will come in the afterlife. Paul is saying, look, we have got the answer. The answer is, we don't have to fear that because we are being clothed, and note the progressiveness, but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. What is mortal? What part of you is mortal? The tent. The body. That is being swallowed up. And more and more life is growing inside of you when you embrace the way of Jesus. That is powerful. Suppose we lived like that. Suppose we lived like that. I think this is really how we change the world. And how the world will see Jesus as it comes out of us. Remember, uh, in 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says, But we all with an unveiled face... Uh, boy. But we all with... How is it I can't find a verse right before that? But uh, let me take care of my eyes here. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image. Remember we talked about that a couple Sundays ago? How that all we need to do is sit in the presence of Jesus. How do we do that? We, can talk, we need to talk about that more. But, but it's in the presence of Jesus that our, our souls get clothed. And we become fuller and richer and, and more robust. I will never forget another person, uh, and I, I, Narita had much more contact with this person than I did, um, the Showalter's mother in, in uh, Plain City, old lady. And she was, she, I just wanted to sit in her presence. Uh, I can't think of her, David Showalter's wife, Rhoda, Rhoda Showalter. I just wanted to sit in her presence. She oozed Jesus. And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying, you really want to change the world? Um, yes, this thing is passing away. The thing we're wearing is passing away. And don't worry so much about that. Yes, take care of it. And we, we, we care about that. Uh, but this is what gives us courage. This is what gives us the, the fact of, of how to, to live well. How, let, me, let me back up. We, I, I tell this story. In the last week, I counted, I've told the story of... of uh, the martyrs, the Anabaptist martyrs, 21 times in the last week because we're short-staffed and I've been giving tours like crazy. And I, I realized that I would be telling these English people, non-Anabaptist people, and uh, the, the stories of, of these martyrs, and, and I would be telling them, you know, this person died. And, but, and at the end, I'd be like, I can't, I, but I need to say this. I said, it's not important about how they died, you know, the method. What is important is how they lived so they could die like that. So 
It's not important how we die, whether we die in the hospital with whatever, or whether we die martyr. What's important is how we live. And Paul is saying, look, it's important how you live. It's important what you aim at. What is your ambition? What are you aiming at? What is it you think will change the world? Because whatever we think will change the world is what we're going to embrace to change ourselves. Did you hear that? Whatever it is we believe that will really truly change the world, we embrace to change ourselves. So is it Jesus? Or is it something else? Now note, in verse 5, he said, He who has prepared us for this very thing is God. So who has gotten us ready for this? God. And he has given us a down payment. What's the down payment? Guarantee? The Spirit. Do you ever feel the Spirit inside you saying, eh, or yes, bless you. Yeah, that's the Spirit. That's the down payment. Now, Paul goes on and we must go on. He says, so we are always of good courage. Note he says that twice. Um, yes, we are of good courage, again, in verse 8. We would rather be away from the body at home with the Lord. I'd rather have this mess done with and go home. Do you ever feel like that? A few times this week, I just like, Lord, if you're going to take anybody, take me. I'm re- I just want to go home. Do you ever feel that? Yeah. And, and that's a natural thing because we're, we've lost some of our fear about that death because we're being clothed more and more. So when uh, it was, I uh, wrote a show altar, what was coming out of her was the clothing that God was putting onto her soul and spirit. And that's what I want for me and for us. So be of good courage. So because Jesus is clothing our spirit, be of good courage. And, and we make it our aim to please him then again in verse 9. So what is your ambition? What are you aiming at? Because what, whatever you're exerting yourself for is where you're going to end up. And then Paul says, but he said, be aware of this. We make it our ambition to please him. Because we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So... We, we all are going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And by the way, uh, there you can have these discussions about this. This means bima. This is a, the Greek word bima. And in every um, uh, Jewish world, they would understand a bima was a raised platform where the judge sat on or the, uh, the rabbis in the, in the synagogues would sit on. So it's like the platform. And he said, we are all going to meet Jesus someday. And note what he says. So that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So think about this. Someday, all the good that you've done, the secret good, the public good, all the good you've done will be rewarded. But the evil that you've done will be addressed as well. And uh, theologians talk about whether this is the final judgment, the great white judgment seat of God. Apparently it's something a little different. It may be only for believers. We don't know all that. But what's important is that we are going to... Here's the point. point, The point Paul Paul is trying to make is because because Jesus clothes our soul and gives us the things that we need to live well in our world, we can have courage and remember that as, as we, whatever we aim for, 
is going to be addressed at some point by Christ. So why did you aim at that? Bless you for aiming at that. And we often look at the judgment of seed of Christ as something negative, and perhaps it isn't. Perhaps it's something positive, where we will be blessed for what we are, are given, and the, the bad that we have will be burned away. And then the, uh, so, so again, for we know, what, what is it we know? We know that our soul is being clothed with him. For we know we are always of good courage. And then he says, because of this in verse 11, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. So this should make an impact in your heart. The fact that you are being clothed with the, 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 the clothing of God in the person of Jesus Christ. And because you have the courage and you're aiming at something beautiful, we persuade others. And, and again, note, uh, he says, but what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We're not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us. Um, apparently, there was, Paul's detractors were there, and, uh, and he's telling them, so if you want to brag about us, go ahead and brag that we're putting on more of Christ. So that you, be, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearances. Apparently, there was people in Corinth who were telling the church at Corinth, He's not a very imposing figure. He's not a good speaker. He, he, look at how he looks. Look at how he dresses and all this stuff. And he's saying, if you want to talk to them about anything about how I look, tell them that I have a soul that is being clothed with the Spirit of God. And he said, then if you think I'm nuts, verse 13, for if we are nuts, if we're crazy, that's literally what it means, for if we are be, beside ourselves, if we act crazy and do crazy things, it is for God. Huh. I love that. Now be careful not to do crazy things for yourself. But if you're going to do something crazy, really crazy, do it for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us. And that's where... I would, I would like us to just kind of sit with as we think about wrapping this up. We have this naked soul. All of us do. A soul that all of us at certain points have feared will leave our body and won't be adequate. And, and Paul is telling us, yes, yes, the, if you believe in Christ, if you embrace the way of Jesus, that is clothing you with something. He said, because of that, we can have courage in our world today. And, 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 and it, we, have, we can have the courage to think about what we're putting our ambitions towards. And he says, then it is the love of Christ that controls us. Because we've concluded this, that one has died for all. And brothers and sisters and friends here today, I need to return us to one thing. Jesus died for you. And Jesus died for me. It is so easy, growing up in the worlds that we have, to kind of uh, wander our way into Christianity without the realization that Jesus died for us. Note, uh, note how Paul addresses this. And he died, that one has died for all. How many are all? How many are all? Everyone. One has died for everyone, therefore everyone has died, and he died for everyone. 
that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. That is so beautiful. So as we face our world this coming week, we need to return to these simple truths that Jesus died for me. And that because he died for me, my soul is being clothed. And as my soul is being clothed, I have courage and I can aim at the things of God. And and then it is the love of Jesus that comes out of this. I conclude with a story. About, um, how long have we been married? Uh, A few years, but uh, about 27 years ago, 28 years ago maybe. Lauren Miller, who is uh, Westcliff, Colorado, spoke for the very first time, he had, he had an accident. He was in a coma for 56 days. And he spoke at Gospel Haven. Do you remember that, Kendrick? Was there anyone else there? Narita, Kendrick, and myself. I will never forget something he said. In that, somewhere in those 56 days, when he was in a coma, he, he nearly died so many times. He was in this wonderful, beautiful meadow, walking up towards a gate. And the gate was open, and he realized he was, it was heaven. He was walking. Were you there, Jerry? Jerry and Roseanne, yeah. He was being, and, and he felt a force coming out of heaven. He felt a force coming out of gate, the gate. And he realized that it was love. And the love was drawing him into those gates. And he heard this beautiful singing. But then, the gates closed, and he heard a voice saying, it's not your time yet. And he woke up from his coma with nurses saying, Mr. Miller, Mr. Miller, you can't go. You have a family yet. But I have always thought, I have thought and thought about those words, about that love drawing us. And I conclude that what I felt from Mrs. Showalter, Rhoda Showalter, was love. It's the love of Jesus coming out of people, broken people, drawing them into the kingdom. Do you know what will draw people into the kingdom of God? Make them more holy, make them more beautiful, make them more easy to get along with? It will be the love. The love that was willing to die for us all. That love coming out of us and giving to the world. Let's stand together. So Jesus, this morning, I think it is so easy for me, at least, to forget these simple but the most profound truth we will ever embrace. You died, you loved me, and you died for me. You died for us all. Jesus, in this coming week, as we face the brokenness of our world, the brokenness of our families, the brokenness of our, uh, our world, just everything we hear so much about is about brokenness. I, and, I, and we understand that the only healing that will ever bring true healing 
is you. And I pray that if there are those with uh, their spirits unclothed here this morning, who have never embraced or have walked away from you, I pray that you would speak to them, speak to us, speak to me. And I pray that that love that was so drawing and so powerful would become a part of our story, become a part of our church, become a part of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. You're dismissed. Remember to be respectful of each other and uh, our community and world. Practice distance if possible, but love each other well.